Black and Broad podcast. I'm your host, Tino Kada, Tondarai Bunzawaya. Now, I'm not going to repeat that. Here is a podcast that is creating the dialogue and the space for black men to be their most authentic selves. Now, my guest today is Yelaita Smith. Yelaita joins me on the podcast today um, to talk about her experiences as a teacher and what she has seen black boys go through in the education system. Um, And so Yelaita talks about a lot of good things in this episode with me. Um, We talk about self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, We talk about just the education system in general um, and how lessons can be made engaging. Um, But she also has taken her passion for teaching, for educating, for reading, and has made that um, into something new, um, which is called Afro Boys. Um, And so she's an author and an illustrator. Um, And some of the skills that she's learned along the way in her life, um, she's now bringing to Afro Boys. And you'll find out a bit more about Afro Boys um, and how she has engaged young black boys in reading and trying to improve their literacy skills. Uh, Just a little hint, got to do with the Marvel or Heroes or something along those lines, yeah? I don't know. I mean, you'll find out. I do know, but you'll find out. (laughs) Either way, um, before we get started, um, if you just take a pause, breathe, ask yourself how you doing and uh, how things are going for you right now. I'll leave you there just a second. All right, I hope things are going well for you. Um, if not, I hope things go, I hope things change, basically. Um, but yeah, I'm sending you positive vibrations through the microphone. Um, so here is my conversation with Yelaita Smith. Hi, Yelaita. Um, welcome to the Black and Raw podcast. It's really good to have you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's all right, it's all right. I got your name right, right? like the way you said it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's normally, well, I'll say it's normally, I say Yelitsa. Yelitsa, oh, okay. You said it was quite nice. Well, welcome. Glad I got your name right, just maybe how it said is different. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I would have already sort of introduced you in the beginning. So <laughs> I guess I just wanted to sort of ask you, um, from your experiences, um you're a teacher and you're also an illustrator and an author um so i wanted to sort of start off with uh finding out some about some of your experiences what um in teaching um because i think that's all work into some of your author and illustrating stuff as well um and so as as you were a teacher in inner city birmingham i guess i just wanted to ask you sort of what did you see uh what was your experience of being a teacher in inner city birmingham um, it's a very interesting question. Um, I always like to start off by saying that for me, teaching is my purpose. And I think it's really important that you can find your purpose as we're kind of navigating our way through life and what we're doing. And so even though I've kind of changed the way that I approach that purpose, it's definitely my purpose. And working in an inner city school, which is where I trained, um, it's where I really developed my love for working with children, um, young people. Um, and in terms of the whole teaching thing, it's just this ability to be able to impart information, knowledge that you've gathered and understood and been able to digest and sharing it with other people and seeing that sparkle in the eye of a child when you, yeah. when you share something with them and they've got that um, they had like a slight interest, but as soon as you change the way that they look at it, all of a sudden it's like, bring. and I just love being able to be part of that learning process for a child, really switch them into a subject, switch them onto an idea um, and then just watch them run with it. It's beautiful. Really. Yeah. No, that sounds amazing. Go it outside. is really great. It's a really <laughs> great career to be in. Um, you just got to find your niche and find what suits you. Yeah. Um, so I've worked in the traditional schooling system for 17 years, almost two What's decades. A tra- 
What's the traditional schooling system? What do you mean by that? Um, I would say that the most common understanding of what school and teacher is, is you go to this building and there's teachers in the room yeah. and have books and you're taught geography and history and English and science. That's what I think most people traditionally think of or it's the go-to connotation of what it means to be a teacher. Yeah. But it's bigger than that, um, obviously. I mean, you can learn from anyone. You can learn in any environment. And um, the way in which you take on the information and then change it around, it, it doesn't have to be in a classroom. So and teaching can be anywhere. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so I was working, I was the head of the English faculty. I was um, a lead practitioner for, in, for literacy across the whole school career. I was a year manager in the pastoral department. So I've done various different roles, worked with the children in various different but what always um, is the shining beacon is just being able to work with children. Well, that's, yeah. that's just, I like the most. So, yeah. That's just you. That's you. I'm glad you, uh, you've been able to sort of found your niche. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how early on you found it, but it's still just being able to find it and sort of see where you can then have that impact or sort of, even as uh, I'm sure we'll go on to discuss, you've been able to sort of take that passion and sort of turn it into something else, but still keep the honest roots of it. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I really, I really like that. Um, and I guess also sort of when we were talking, um, that you were telling me about some of the, some of the experiences that young black boys sort of go through in schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I wanted my li- the listeners also to sort of hear um, yeah. what, what sort of what you came across, maybe what some of the challenges were, but even sort of like what you experienced when you were uh, being a teacher. I mean, we touched on a little bit earlier in the fact that I worked in an inner city school and working particularly in Birmingham, which is um, a multicultural hub. Working in the inner city, you come across lots of different cultures, um, lots of different ethnicity. Um, but what you often find in there is that you will have um, this lovely uh, mix of different cultures, but then comes with that the stereotypes, the prejudice. Um, and so working particularly with the year group that I had, I had 193 children that I was in charge of when I was doing pastoral work. And about 20 of those children were black boys. And so that's when I was really exposed to the experience that a black boy has in education. And obviously I'm still on the outset, I'm a woman, so I don't necessarily understand the whole ins and outs, but I definitely was able to have conversations with my young boys. Um, and I say my young boys because I took them on as if they were my young brothers, they were yeah. my son, and I cared for them in the same way. Um, and their experiences um, it was quite saddening, to be honest, their experiences, because they were not always given the form with which to flourish. Um, there was, particularly as they started to grow, and I worked in secondary schools, so you've got these big, strapping six-foot boys, and they're only 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so instantly comes that fear of, um, you know, this tall, strong black boy stood in the doorway, and you get this intimidation that is unnecessary. Um, but with that comes... Then this, um, I don't know, it's an inability to see the child anymore. They don't see a child, they just see the yeah. six-foot man, if you like. Um, and so what comes with that is, um, as I said, lots of prejudice. And I saw the way that they were treated a little differently when they were being referred to. Perhaps something had happened in the classroom and the teacher would come to me and speak to me. The language was different, intimidated by him. He was aggressive when he was talking. Uh, but yet if you put a different um, ethnic group in that same situation, you wouldn't have used that language. Mm-hmm, and when yeah. you broke it down, exactly when you broke it down, it might have been simply that you asked a boy to sit down I've told you several times to sit down and he's irritated because he's actually trying to get his pencil case out of his bag or something that simple. Yeah. And you're, you're berating him, sit down, sit down. And he's actually trying to prepare himself for your lesson. You've now annoyed him for whatever reason. Something else might have happened outside the classroom, at home, da 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 da, da. And it's all kind of melted together into this, this moment. Well, I'm getting it, I'm doing it. And so, oh, oh my God, I felt <laughs> it was aggressive And you're like Mate He just wanted to take his bag And, and he wanted yeah. to get his pencil And you just needed to give him Two more minutes And it would have been cool And it's just things like that um, Things being totally blown out, blown out of proportion When in the 
um, when you when you got down to it, you spoke to these boys. They actually wanted to be in the classroom. They wanted to learn. They wanted to take part. Um, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out that way. And, yeah. I, and I saw a lot of examples of that. Um, and I think that people forget that we're dealing with teenagers. We're dealing with hormones. Yeah, there's so, there's so much going on exactly. in the teenage mind, isn't there? It's, just, it's, yeah. a, it's a crazy place to be in at that time. Exactly. So, yeah, there was lots of things that um, I've, I kind of observed with regards to boys being in the education system. Yeah. Um, and it was a shame, really. It, it's still happening as well, which is really quite frustrating. Um, so yeah, so I, I sort of hear I hear what you're saying in terms of that, um, in terms of that black boys are sort of maybe more discriminated against because of just mm. what we look like, or I guess uh, <laughs> the thinking of what it, what it means to sort of like what black boys are. Like even I think my, one of my sister's friends said that um, she was scared of black boys. Um, like in terms of like when they're in big groups and stuff like that, and mm. I think my sister was just like, well, that's, "That's my brother," like or like, like I think yeah. she was a bit sort of like, mm, "I don't know how I feel about that one," but like I think that's even just <laughs> there's probably some people, some teachers that have maybe grown up in that sort of thinking, mm. and then now they're actually responsible for ch- just for children, just in general. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's it's. <clears throat> I don't know whether to say it's a dangerous or it is a dangerous sort of thinking because I think it can lead to um, black boys being discriminated against or not reaching sort of their goals and their targets in school. And I mean, that it's a shame. Sorry to cut you. Um, no, no, go just, ahead, go it's, ahead. It's a shame because you just, you basically just gave me two visuals as you were talking about, um, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, as you were talking about the, the way that, um, people will view these boys. The first one, which is a little bit bizarre, but I'll share it anyway, was um, my sister um, likes to do horse riding. She has horses and I find the horses intimidating because they're so big and they're just so powerful and overbearing. When you're stood amongst them, there's that moment, there's that fear that comes with it. For whatever reason, we were talking about how these people can feel being amongst these tall, strong, strapping black boys. It's the power that intimidates me in that situation. And I I think our boys need to understand that that's what's intimidating the person, not apologizing for the fact the person behaves that way, but trying to have an understanding as to why. And it's because of your power that they are intimidated and therefore fearful of you. That was the first thing that came to mind. But the second thing was um, my experience as a year manager. And I have a picture, it's a shame I haven't got it to hand, of me stood amongst my boys. And I basically, because I was a year manager, I used to wear heels and I used to totter around the school before, <laughs> before I became a year manager. And once I got into the role where I had to power my way around the school, get into the classrooms, make sure yeah. the children were learning, I started wearing flats. And so I'm five foot six. And so I'm stood five foot six amongst these six foot boys. And I just remember this image of them towering above me. And, you know, they they do what boys do and they talk and they're in very close proximity and then, oh, you can't do that. And I remember sometimes having to squeeze my way in amongst these six footers and kind of push, ah, come on boys, get to your lessons, get to push. But my mindset was they are oversized babies and I was just Mm -hmm. pulling us, pulling up my boys. There was somebody else that would be these huge horse horses of power and fear and so it's it, it is about your thinking and your mindset and particularly for practitioners working with our boys they need to really change their mindset and recognize you're working with children mm. you're working with young boys and whilst they may be tall some of them don't even know how to control themselves like they've got all these long limbs and stuff and they're walking they don't even know how to control themselves they're still figuring it out like when they went to sleep last night they were five foot they woke up this morning with six foot like what's going on no i mean so um it's just changing your mindset and recognizing that um they are pussycats they just respond to the way that you talk to them um, one of my favorite sayings, and it's 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 a good saying, but it's a little bit worrying and saddening, is I am who you say I am. Mm. And if you say that I am this huge, mm. aggressive um boy that that, that is troublesome and this, then I will be. 
I'll be there. Yeah, and you'll play up to it. Exactly. Whereas if you're like, and you know, I had some boys and they were like really I'm strict. You can't understand how huge these boys look to me. (laughs) But I would still bring them and turn them and get them into get into the classroom because they'd be chatting on the corridor, right, Monsieur. And you just move them around and get them into the classroom. And they were they were just big babies. And I just can't understand why people are scared of them. Well, I can, but I can't, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, you shouldn't be, but I, I yeah. feel like that your society has sort of told you that you should be. So you, yeah, so you, so you think of what it said. Um, and I think what you touched on there, which was something that I actually wanted to discuss in terms of like, um, you say who you you say I am who you say I am. It's sort of like a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Um, and I guess I wanted to sort of ask you, like, how have you seen sort of have you seen like self fulfilling prophecies sort of happen in school, like with boys? Um, and I, I guess I'll just explain for maybe those that don't know what self fulfilling mm-hmm. prophecy is, in terms of just like it's basically what uh, Elisa just said. Like, someone will say a word about you, or will say you're lazy, you're this, you're that or you're going to fail and you sort of end up living up to those words. Um, so I guess I just wanted to ask you sort of, have you noticed that um, among students or what are sort of your views on that? Most definitely, because what you have to remember is that we are in, a, in an environment where these boys and girls are um, growing as people. So we as teachers are supposed to, by our very, very, by our very nature, put my teeth back in. We're supposed to be helping them to grow. We are feeding them the um, the knowledge. We are feeding them the understanding. So if you're feeding into them that you are this negative connotation, they are going to take it and they're going to run with it because you're feeding it to them. Where else are they supposed to get an understanding of self other than in the school environment? Obviously at home as well. But they're building their understanding of themselves and they're going to take what you say as part of those building blocks. So you have to be very careful about what you say to them, how you say it, because it will become their DNA. And um, in the same sense, you have um, some very strong willed children. And I think that um, the more because I haven't having taught for 17 years, I've seen a difference in the type of child that comes through into year seven. So an 11-year-old from 2005, when I first started, is not the same as an 11-year-old in 2022. Yeah, they're different. They're so different. Yeah. (laughs) Different species. And what's beautiful about it, and um, I say this particularly of my sister's era, because she's 25. um, And of that era, I see warriors. The way that she approaches, she's a warrior. She will not take anything from you without questioning it. She wants to know where it's come from, why it's this one. So we've got different species of child coming through. But yet we still got very archaic ways of teaching them. So that's one of the problem with the education system in general. We've also got very archaic viewpoints because you've got an aging teacher as well. So the teacher's still kind of stuck in the 19, wherever they came from, and they're trying to teach this 2022 child. Um, So you've got these children that are very adamant about, well, no. You can't speak to me like that. You can't speak to me. You know what? I'm not going to work for you anymore. I'm not going to yeah. work for you. And I'm not going to comply with you. I'm not going to. And they've got this. Now, some might take that as a very negative attitude, but I see that as strength. They've got this strength. I'm not going to do what you tell me. I'm going to challenge you and question you. And whereas I see that type of learner as fantastic, because I don't like the type of learner that just takes what I say verbatim. I've said this. Okay, miss, let me write it down. Yeah. I like the child that's like, well, why? Oh, really? And then when you explain it to them, okay, cool. Now I get it. Now I'll write it down. Now I do it. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's sort a of understanding why exactly. they're doing something. So because you've got um, these children that will not necessarily accept what you say straight away. So you've got the ones that will be um, the self-fulfilling. Okay. Um, you've said that I am aggressive and this and that. I know in my heart I'm not, but you see what? I'm going to give you what you said. And I'm yeah. So there's there's different types of children that are coming into the classroom. Some of them are responding to what the teacher tells them because they're sponges and they just take what you say. And there are others that are almost doing it as a form of rebellion. I'm going to behave this way because you said this. And so I'm not going to do what you said. So there's lots of things happening in the classroom. 
but definitely a danger is that there are children that are just becoming what the teacher expects of them and they're not really challenging themselves. They're not really finding themselves. Um, so there's a couple of things that are happening. Well, there's a few things really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, I'll go on. No, no, no. I was going to say, so, so in terms of self-fulfilling prophecy, um, again, there's an education that needs to be taught to our young people because you're not doing yourself any favors by becoming that person. You need to be who you want to be. You need to be who you feel is correct. And you've got to have that strength to go against what the ter- the person is saying to you. So yeah, if they're saying to you, you're a troublemaker. No, I'm not. I'm curious. I'm interested. I'm engaged. I'm going to challenge you, but I'm not a troublemaker. And then yeah. they've got to find that, that distinction, I guess. How do, I guess, how do sort of just, I guess this applies to any sort of young person, but like, how do they sort of start to do that? Maybe in the classroom where you're maybe not allowed to sort of challenge back a teacher or you kind of just have to say, you not necessarily have to take on board what they're saying, but I think being able to sort of pick and choose your battles, you know what I mean? Knowing when to like pipe up and knowing when actually, let me just ignore this and I just go and do what I do, you know? behind the scenes, you know? I think it's a difficult one, um, perhaps for the younger ones, but for, perhaps for some of the other ones, it's change your strategy. Because what you have to remember, um, regardless of who's sitting at the front of the classroom, they're still human. And um, the same way that you get embarrassed, the same way that you might get nervous and anxious, so is your teacher. And so imagine now you're a teacher and you've said something in front of the classroom, in front of the audience, and it's not quite right or a child wants you to expand on it or develop it and you don't know the answer because God forbid the teacher doesn't know the answer. (laughs) But if they don't know the answer and you challenge them in front of the audience, you stand to embarrass them. And I do think there were a lot of um, instances that happened, particularly in my experience. It was because my young learner challenged the teacher quite rightly, but embarrassed the teacher. Yeah. At the end of the day, the teacher needs to have a thicker skin, of course. But if we're talking about strategies that you can have, perhaps don't ask your question out loud, especially if you've got to the point where you know that the teacher doesn't really ask you. Because that often happens. You have a child that's constantly got the hand up, so the teacher will stop asking you. Oh, yeah. you asked me a question five minutes ago. Da, da, da. So why don't you write the question in the back of your book? Write the question down as it comes to you because you don't want to forget it. And then maybe on a one-to-one. <clears throat> Miss, sir, I had a question. Can you, could you come over here? Can I ask you my question, please? And it's a one-to-one question. It's not necessarily as challenging to the teacher. Um, And if the teacher then kind of gets into the understanding that you will ask them questions, but you won't necessarily do it publicly, A, if the teacher's uncomfortable with the public, then they'll answer you one-to-one and then that kind of works. Or a teacher like myself would be like, you know what? You keep asking me really good questions. I want you to ask me them in front of the class. So you could kind of flip it around. Yeah. Yeah. So you challenge the teacher, but challenge them first of all on a one-to-one basis to allow the teacher to not have that embarrassment factor. Because like I said, they are human. And particularly with some of these younger ones, um, they're quick to snap and, oh, you're challenging me or... Well, yes, I am because I'm supposed to. I'm a learner, but some teachers yeah. don't understand that that's actually a good thing. Um, so that might be a strategy. Um, also, your tone and and the usual things when it comes to body you language. Across, yeah, 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 whether yes. you're confrontational or sort yeah. of how just how loud you're being. Exactly. You just have to remember that the teacher is human, and I know that sometimes. Kids look at us and they don't see humans. That's yeah, like, definitely. Is it? <laughs> you know, it's like you'll, you'll be out shopping at the weekend. And like, oh my god, miss! That's a teacher. Like, what? what are they doing? Yes, I <laughs> oh miss, you're in Aldi. Yes, I have to go shopping. I'm a human. It's just <laughs> some funny things like that. But um, but yeah, just finding different strategies that work with different teachers, um, and see how that works. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Like it just, as you were saying, in terms of seeing teachers as human it's just one of those things where like even your parents like when you're younger they don't really they're not humans they're just oh they're just my parents so it's sort of like but they're like as a 
um, like as parents and as teachers, they're growing just as you're growing. And like, mm. they're not going to be the same person who they were tomorrow or today. Or so I think, yeah, I think we need to sort of be able to shift our thinking to be like, actually, like maybe I should cut them some slack because maybe they've had a hard day or something and mm. they've had to then come into school and then try and put that aside. But things happen, you know, like you can always tell when those, some of the teachers are in a mood and yeah. it's like, no, it's not, today's not the day to be, exactly. <laughs> not the day to be messing with the teacher. Yeah. Um, go on. Um, I was going to say, I mean, it, it is difficult and, and it's interesting you, you talk about parents and talking about teachers because first of all, teachers are in our contract. It says that we are locus parentis. So we are almost in the parental role as while you're in school, etc. But it is you do put them almost on this pedestal of knowledge. They, they must know everything. They're the teacher. They must know everything. They're parents. Uh, but no, as you pointed out, they're still learning and there's so many things they don't know. And I'm I'm. I think I'm kind of unique in that when a child challenges me in the classroom, number one, I find it enjoyable because it demonstrates engagement. If yeah. you weren't listening to my lesson, then you wouldn't even be questioning because you wouldn't know what's going on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and second, um, because I want to learn too. So the, the way that I manage to learn my subject inside out is from the, some of the questions the children ask me. Because I'm like, oh my God, I never thought about that. Great question. And they'll kind of look at you like, are you taking the mic, miss? Not you, that was a great notice. question. And I'm going to write it down. And I'll either give it, as, give it to myself as homework, or if I'm feeling particularly mean, I'll be like, I'll give it to the class as a, as a homework. Right, that was a great question. All of you need to tell me the answer tomorrow. And I'm like, oh. But um, just children understanding that actually, you're teaching the teacher as much as the teacher is teaching you. So mm. ask your questions. Don't expect them to know everything. Um, yes, they are a fountain of, of information, but they've got to get the water from somewhere. So they're yeah. too prepared. Um, and so, yeah, just, just by changing your tone, changing the way that you ask the question, you can actually either instigate a great discussion in the class or some thinking that the teacher hadn't thought about Again, so many fantastic ideas and ways that I look at literature came from the children and the questions they asked me. And I honestly was like, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but yeah. I'm going to find out or we'll find out together. And so it's learning for the teacher there. Be strong enough to be able to say, I don't know the answer to your question. Great question. Love that you challenged me. Let's figure it out together as opposed to yeah. you don't need to know that. Stop asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and it just it creates an environment where then you feel like you can open mm. up or feel like you can ask a question where even the, if the teacher doesn't know, then it's you know it's all right. Then you sort of mm. either find that out together. But I feel like if you get shut down sort of as a, as a student or as a young person, you're like, well, I'm just not going to bother again. I'm right. Yeah. Like, and it just, it like one thing, it could just be one thing and it's probably not that deep, but I feel like as teenagers or even just year seven, year eight, we just take it so personal. It's just yeah. like, well, why do I even want to be here? Or like, why do I even want to ask you okay. questions if you're going to react like that, you know? And then it feeds back into what we spoke about earlier, that self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're constantly being shut down by your teacher um, as the problem child, the child that always asks the questions that are not relevant or whatever it might be, you would be like, you know what? Okay, safe. I'm not asking no more questions then. Yeah. Or I'm going to deliberately ask you questions just to try to embarrass you into the class. So there's lots of different ways that that can go, but... Again, as a teacher, and this, these are the parts of the, the lesson that used to set me on fire. Like, I'd be mm. like, this is amazing. We're having a discussion. You're really thinking about it. And I'd really encourage, we go off task for like 10 minutes talking about something completely random because some child brought it up and I'm like, that is a really good point. Right, pop your pens down just for 10 minutes. Let's just, let's think about that. Let's talk about that. And the kids would be like, really, miss? Yeah, you can't Yeah, stop work. <laughs> yeah, because now you're engaged. Next time you come to my lesson, it's like, oh, miss, you're going to make us put our pens down and, and go with such and such. And then I'll start encouraging that child. Remember, you asked miss that question and you got no more for us today because whenever you ask a question, we don't have to do no work <laughs> or something. But it's getting the kids involved and engaged and excited. And, and that's what you want. That's, that's real learning. Yeah, definitely. So, um, teachers are missing a trick by shutting children down. You shut them down and actually you're missing an opportunity to really draw them into your subject. So. 
Yeah, I think, yeah. And it's, it's always more exciting when you're sort of in that environment in school. Like those are always, I feel like the best teachers that are able to create that environment and be able to like really nurture it. Because you don't want, like you never just want to be sitting in a classroom writing off the board for the whole like hour. Yeah. And sometimes I, it's necessary. Like there's some things that you probably do just need to get across mm-hmm. and there's no way to make it fun and engaging. But I feel like when you can, it should be. And I guess when you mentioned in terms of the education system being a bit archaic, I feel like in that essence, it is because kids like kids learn in so many different ways now. Like there's so there's so much out there. And like I feel like everything's trying to get your attention as well. So like I think kids nowadays have shortest attention spans. And so you need to be able to capture that intrigue that um that excitement that sort of like willing to learn and absorb energy absorb knowledge because maybe not every child will be suited for education but like if you can make it sort of engaging enough that it's like well even if that child sort of remembers that lesson they're like oh I'm going to be way more excited to go to school now Mm. or to go to that lesson at least most definitely um you make me think of um there's a guy that from America that does different seminars about how to, I think it's how to have good memories and how to um, read quickly. His name's Jim Quick. Yeah. And he talks about state of being um, and that your, your learning is best when your state of being is positive. So if you're happy, you learn more than if you're sat at the back of the classroom bored. Yeah. You're touching on that um, when you're talking about a child being enthused and intrigued and and they're buzzing when they come through the door. Oh, what are we going to do today, miss? That child is in a state of being that is going to absorb everything that you have to deliver that lesson. If they walk through the door and they've already decided your lesson is going to be dry and boring, they are not listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah not no, definitely not. <laughs> So, and then, and then again, you've just got this constant carousel because the child's not engaged, the child's not learning, the child's not achieving. And then you've got all these different things that come with that. The child doesn't want to be in your lesson. And, oh, like, so, but you as the, the, the practitioner in the room control the energy and you slipped and you said, um, I think you said something, but you mentioned energy. And yeah. I, but I love that slip because it is about the energy in the room. You create the right energy and even the most, um, I don't know, reluctant child can't help but smile. Something's going on in that room. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then that's what they're like, ah, you're smiling, I caught you. I got you. (laughs) So, yeah, it is about energy and state of being in that classroom. Um, And that's for all children, definitely. Yeah, I think, yeah, so it's so important in terms of just like, I think not being able to reinforce those like if you don't, if you have a student that then isn't engaging and sort of doesn't want to be in class and is maybe then destructive, like yeah. not reinforcing that. Um, mm. And I think just a little an- like anecdote, um, just from my personal life in terms of like when I was at school, um, there was a, we were doing careers and um, it was like, yeah, I think it was year, year 11 or year 10. And you mm. like, everyone had to go to the, the, the careers, uh, like yeah. tutor or someone that they had. Yeah. Um, and so when I went to mine, um, I, I can't remember, she said to me, we're talking about sort of future options. And she was like, I think you should go to college because I, I don't think you'll like get the grades basically to do A-levels. Um, and sort of then I was just like, oh, maybe, I think I was one of those children. I don't think I was as assertive as I should have been. Um, <laughs> but like, I was just like, oh, maybe, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't go to sixth form. Maybe I look at colleges. Like I, and then I even started looking at colleges and things like that. But then when I told my parents that, um, and being Zimbabwean and being African, they're like, that ain't happening. You ain't going to college, mate. Are you dumb? No, 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 no. You're going to A-level. You're going to do A-levels and then you're going to go to uni. And I think just being it, and I think I'm very unfortunate that my parents sort of have that, had that expectation, whereas some parents may not. Um, and who knows what would have happened if my parents were just like, yeah, makes sense. Like you should do that. Um, because I, I don't, I don't think I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for that. But I think it can be so just like what that one moment where someone who you view as, oh, they know best or yeah. they know what they're talking about can yeah. alter your, your goal or your target or wherever you're going. And it's so, it's just crazy to think, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
And it, you're right. I mean, you've touched on so many different things there. First of all, the importance of having very engaged parents, you know, because um, especially my daughter's five. So she's at that age where uh, teachers like um, these angels and these kind of, oh my gosh, my, my teacher said, so when I tried to show her a different way of doing something, she'll, but my teacher didn't do it that way. <laughs> my teacher said, my teacher, it's, it's really interesting to see the way in which children view teachers as almost like God. And, and I, you know, I use the word quite, because I'm trying to think of something else, but it, it is, it's very much up there with, you know, whatever an adult or a teacher says to you is, Must is be what true. it is. Yeah. So if you if you're sending your children to school and you're not taking an active role in understanding what's happening in that classroom and engaging in conversations, you do stand to potentially use lose your child to one comment, and it could just be one statement that completely changes the direction of that child's journey. And like you said, you you instantly started changing your mindset. Oh, maybe I shouldn't go. Maybe I should. But thankfully, your parents stepped in. But that how many children have been told? I don't think A-levels for you. Maybe you should just go and become an apprentice. And they do. And actually, it wasn't the subject, it wasn't the subject for them, but if they'd have picked the right subject, they would have got it. Or the teaching style wasn't working for them in that environment. But if they moved somewhere else, it would have been perfect. So there's just so many facts. Because I remember when I was at school. I loved school. My mum was like, this is the reason you're a teacher, because you just didn't want to leave school. Um, <laughs> I, had, I mean, I've had hundreds of different jobs. You yeah. asked right, um, right at the beginning of the conversation, you were like, you're not sure when I kind of jo- joined the teaching um, profession. I've had hundreds of jobs before I came, became a teacher, but I knew I wanted to be a teacher from a very young age. Why didn't I go straight into teaching then? I was told I didn't have enough of a qualification. So um, when I first got into teaching, when I first tried, you had to have a two-one in your degree. And whilst I passed my degree and I'd had that whole exhilaration of passing my degree, it wasn't until I wanted to do my next step that I thought, oh my God, my degree's not worth anything. It's rubbish. Yeah. Then um, what happened was they were not getting enough English teachers come through. So they dropped the entry requirement to two twos. And then they introduced all this other stuff to really encourage you. So that's when I was like, oh, the door's open. Boom, let me in. And I came straight in. But um, up until that point, I had worked as... um, I was a receptionist for a property company. I work for uh, call centers. I worked in hundreds of different jobs. Yeah. But my mom would often complain because she'd be like, when are you going to settle down? Because it would be like seven months, a year. I'd be like, I need to change my job. When are you going to stay in the job? And Because it wasn't <laughs> right for me. It wasn't for you, yeah. Exactly. So this is the problem. Your careers advisor says to you, oh, I think you should do X, Y, Z. You go with what the career advisor says and you're not happy, it's not your purpose. And you're there constantly bouncing around, can't find it. So eventually I went back to what I believed was my purpose, and it was, and I've been teaching for, like I said, 17 years. But you have to have active, engaged parents to help because some of these teachers, practitioners, advisors can steer you on the wrong path, and it's a shame. Um, But, yeah, I've had quite a few different jobs before I found the one that (laughs) Yeah. And I think I think it's a good point to sort of be able to bounce off, um, as you're saying, in terms of your purpose is to educate. And I guess I want to sort of uh, understand and for people to be able to hear of sort of how you've now transitioned your purpose into um, Afro boys. Um, And so I guess I guess, yeah, how have you sort of. How have you sort of done that? Um, and I guess if you can tell people just a little bit about Afro Boys. Right. So um, Afro Boy is the name of a book series that I've started. It's aimed at seven to 11 year olds. When I began the project, it was particularly to encourage black boys um, to raise their levels of enjoyment and engagement in reading. And that inadvertently will help them with their literacy, which will inadvertently help them with their attainment. So having worked um, in classrooms for so many years, I'd see our black boys coming through, black girls coming through. And I have to say that I was a little bit biased towards them. So just I make sure I look <laughs> So make sure I looked after them just a little bit more than the rest of them. But, yeah, also, but you know, if, if their hand was up, I might run to them first before. But, you know, yeah. so, so because 
I saw how we were being treated in other classrooms. I was like, well, okay, come into my room and I'm going to switch it on its head and I'm really going to look after you. But one of the things that I noticed was you'd have a little black boy that would come in at age 11, avid reader. I've read that, miss. I've read this, miss. I've read that. And then he'd hit year eight, he'd start reading. Oh. Why have you stopped reading? Oh, the, the characters in the books, they're not like me. They're boring. I'm, just, oh, I'm not interested anymore, miss. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, if I wrote a book that had a little black superhero in it, would you read it? Yeah, I might do this. All right, then. I'll check it out, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Trying to have cool and everything. Yeah, kind of style it out or whatever. But um, so what I started doing was thinking about how I'm going to engage our boys into writing. That Now, the actual story of me getting into the writing is a little bit longer than that, but the, the long and short of Afro Boy was that it was to engage black boys by having a black main character who's a superhero. The boy is autistic as well, because again, this was something I started to notice in classrooms, was you have quite a massive spectrum of autism. And right at the kind of the milder end, you might have things like just daydreaming, slightly disengaged in class. But when you ask the boy, what did I just say? You're not listening. What did I just say? They'll turn around and verbatim tell you exactly what you've just said. (laughs) But they're just not, you know, so um, it was just me trying to show other practitioners that when you're looking at our black boys and they're daydreaming or they're doodling or whatever they are, please don't get it twisted. They're still listening, but your lesson's not engaging enough for them. You're not challenging them enough and therefore you need to switch it up a little bit. So the first book in the series is Mr. Beaker's Goggles, which is set in science class. And that's exactly what's happening the young character Kai is daydreaming because they did this lesson last week. And again, something you see in in schools, unfortunately, all the time is, turn to page 25. We did this last week. doesn't matter. It's revision. (laughs) (laughs) So um, (laughs) so, uh, my little boy Kai's like, but I want to learn something else. I've been reading at home. I'm really interested in this subject. Can't we learn about that? No, this is what we're doing. In my classroom, if a child said to me, I'm interested in this, if I can't instantly engage it into that lesson, I'll go home and I'll try and figure out a way to bring it into the next lesson. And then I'll say, Kai, you said you were interested in this, so I expect you to be on point today because I've made sure I add it into my lesson just for you. So now he's engaged. And usually the subject they've raised is really interesting anyway. Um, So Afro Boy is about showing our black boys that they are in the books that they are the heroes, that the teacher is actually in the wrong, and that um, they have something to bring because they're going to save the class. And so that's where Afroboy came from, really. Um, And like I said, there's other little things that factor into that. But I just wanted our boys to see themselves as heroes because I see them as heroes. Yeah, I think that's that's awesome. like I think being able to see yourself in a book as well, like there's much there's much to be said as in terms of just like representation, yeah. Um, in that you can see yourself in a character in a book, and I think that's why just so many people love like Black Panther. Um, yeah. And like as I saw today, like you guys put put on your Instagram in terms of like Black Panther being one of the first black superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I think like when I watched Black Panther, like I even like you know what I'm not gonna even lie, I'm just gonna be honest right here. I should have tear. I can't lie because yeah. I think it was just so. It, one, it was refreshing to see, even though it's not real, but to see Africa. In a, in a thought of you, like, if colonization never happened, could have Africa been like that? Or could have some African countries been like that, where they were not touched by slavery mm. and, like, all of the things that's happened to the continent? And then just being able to then see a Black superhero that's kick-ass. Yeah. And you just said, it's like, man, this is like, this is what I live for. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I'm jealous of kids that are able to maybe now grow up and sort of, like, Black Panther's just their norm, you know? And R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. But I think it's, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just awesome to see. Um, and as you were saying in terms of marrying that with, you're seeing a superhero in a book and sort of your literacy, your literacy, uh, your English skills are getting built up <laughs> I can't talk today But um, Your English skills Are getting built up Like you're reading more And mm. I think I had a conversation With somebody Called Tobe The other day About books And stuff like that And I think Getting kids started Early on books That represent them 
is only going to be a benefit to them. Like it's only going to improve every, improve their reading, improve their knowledge, improve their comprehension. I hated comprehension, but <laughs> it's going to work all together. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I that's think that's it. really cool to see. Yeah, yeah that's exactly the, the thinking is you have to reel them in from a very young age, but then you've got to keep them. Um, and so with Afro Boy, um, the idea is that I kind of hook them in with the Im- images and the illustrations first, because let's yeah. face it, the imagination of a child today is not as great as when no. we were younger. So you kind of have to reel them in and give them some images to start with because society is so visual. But then eventually the books are going to grow with my reader. So the, the images will start to, to ebb away. You'll see fewer and fewer images and then they'll become novellas and they'll become novels. Then I've hooked you. You're already a reader. You're already bought into Afro Boy and the entire universe that I've created around him. So you're going to want to keep reading. But because you've already had these visuals kind of in instilled earlier on and because you've just started to become more imaginative yourself you don't need the images anymore yeah but it's it's interesting what you're saying about the imagery of um black panther because i'm a huge fan and i remember when it first came out and there was mixed reviews because people were like it's unrealistic and why did they have to do this and why did they have to do that and the storyline was a bit weak and i'm like who cares did you not see how beautiful wakanda looked (laughs) did you not see how flawless the skin was of our black brothers and sisters who cares whether he looked was real i was just like wow you know just what they were wearing and the way that they spoke and the eloquence um it's funny because you mentioned instagram and i put a, a post today and i've got chadwick r.i.p and i've got mansa musa so the fact that um takala the character in black panther was um rich and regal and he was well read well spoken like all of it all these beautiful things and um he was he's actually the richest superhero if you look at the marvel he's the richest super he's richer than iron man can i Iron man yeah yeah. (laughs) we all know iron man for being rich so that's that's what it is so um, the fact that they have a character like that, that he's fictional, but actually, if you look into Mansa Musa, he was a real person from our history, and yeah. he was the richest man, and he was regal, and he was well spoken and well dressed. So Takala is not far from the reality of our history, and yes, it's disappointing that we can't necessarily see anybody right now, and obviously Africa has been completely stripped. Of all that he has to offer yeah. Prior to And you know Going back into our history This was commonplace To see people like Takala To see Mansa Musa Walking around We were kings and queens We dressed well We looked good We were educating The rest of the world From Timbuktu Please Yeah we knew all doing so, <laughs> oh, yeah. But all these things Again will be Fed into Afro Boy because I've when I talk about I've done the universe, I have written the entire universe, yeah. and then it spreads further and it goes into and um, there are different planets that are going to become involved and different species. Because as I said, I'm a massive fan of Marvel and the fact that it's more than just our little planet, they're just yeah, so yeah, much it's everywhere. Yeah, you've got multiverse and all of those things. multiverse, most definitely. So, yeah, I yeah. Think, I- uh, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, I think, like I was saying, I think there is a lot to be made by representation, even in terms of you talking about that you're going to have a universe of it. Um, I think it's just really awesome because you can sort of touch on lots of different themes um, with that. And mm-hmm. as you were saying that the main character, Kai, um, has autism too. And I feel like autism is something which... Um, I guess within the black community, you don't, I haven't really heard of it much or sort of mm-hmm. like you don't really see it much. Um, mm-hmm. And even just sort of those sort of learning disabilities or things like, I think my parents said once when I was a child that I might have had ADHD because I was so active. And even now my parent, my friends say I have sort of ADHD traits. I'm not saying I do do have it or do not have it, but it's something which I think if it was thought about, it'd be like, actually, mm, is it? Or is it just that child is sort of just too active or too this or too that? Or understimulated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's, 
I think within our community, maybe, I don't know whether it's un, not understood as much or sort of, there's just a, mm, nah, that's not what it is, or sort of pawning off to something else. I mean, I was guilty of it myself. Again, being in the um, industry for as long as I have, I was there when they started to introduce these new terminologies. And um, as somebody in the classroom that's kind of teaching this child that can't keep still, you know, when they're saying, well, potentially he's got ADHD, at first it was almost like, well, isn't that just an excuse for him not being able to manage his behaviour? Like, don't give it a time. It's it's just to be naughty. <laughs> Obviously, the more you work with children, the more you realise that actually there are lots of different things that are happening, lots of things that are going on, and you can't just dismiss it as bad behaviour. Yeah. Um, but on the on the flip side, I'm still very sceptical about giving children labels because who am I? I'm definitely not a professional in terms of being able to diagnose a child, but I can definitely see traits. Um, for me, autism is a gift. I think that when you meet as many autistic children as I have, and I've still not met as much as somebody that is SEN trained yeah. um, for, for their want of an, a particular ability. So for example, they're not able to concentrate for longer than say 15 minutes. You would see that as a disadvantage or a disability, but for them not being able to concentrate for 15 minutes, they have got a concentration span of a subject of interest for hours yeah. Focus on your work for 15 minutes. But if you start speaking to them about science, all of a sudden they're talking about all these different things and you're like quantum physics and you're 11? Yes, miss. And again, this is where Kai comes from because I've seen so many children that are autistic and they love maths, they love science, they love numbers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, things like that. So um, it's a gift because they are so interested. And what's ironic almost is when I am. Um, I first started doing the illustrations for my book because I illustrated as well as wrote it. Um, a friend of mine has a son who is autistic, very mild, but he has been diagnosed. And I gave him my illustration. Well, I gave him the book just to look at it. And he came, in fact, it was a different book. And he came over to me and went, it's really good, but why is it that if this has happened in the duration of five minutes, the clock in the background hasn't changed the time? And I was like, eh. Now tell me something If you're working for Jaguar or Mercedes-Benz And you have somebody with autism That gift of being able to look at the tiny details You're telling me that that's not something You would need in your workforce So when people are talking about autism as a disability And autism means that you can't do this and you can't do that Because for somebody like me Focusing on the details is a bit boring but if it's the right subject, an autistic person will sit there for hours yeah. and save you millions. And they're like, yes, well, I've looked at the equation and I've decided that you need to just change that tiny nigga, that, that, that tiny nigga there. And then all of a sudden, boom, and you're like, whoa, that saved us millions. It's <laughs> <So, laughs> a gift to me. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just, seeing that, just seeing their gifts as opposed to their... Their disabilities. disabilities. Yeah, or their, like... Their shortcomings more to say because yeah. yeah because yeah I think that's um I think yeah it touches on a lot of things there in terms of um because I think when I when I've just done my placement recently um you find that you see you come across loads of children that do have autism and that mm-hmm. or or have been labelled with it um and that I think it's really important to be able to see the positives in in them and in who they are because it also helps their self-esteem like if you're yeah. if you're saying okay you you're not great at this but that's fine because you're you're amazing at this and like let's focus on building this mm-hmm. like it's going to bring so many positives for that young person and like build their self-esteem build their confidence mm-hmm. um and i think having somebody like that in your books is only good for is only good for representation and good for themselves to see that oh this dude's a superhero and he's autistic so can I not be a superhero in my own right and still have autism or still have ADHD or still have whatever I have you know mm-hmm. it's the idea of um, daring to be different because um, I was that different child in the classroom as well. Um, now, I was the child. I loved studying. So as I said before, mm. I loved school. I loved studying. And you get teased for that. God, you're such yeah, a definitely. The word was boffin when I was in school. You're such a boffin. <laughs> oh, yes. 
don't know what they call it now, maybe a try hard or you know, a sweat. Yeah, yeah, swear. I was a bit of a geek. But for me, there was a confidence that I had, and I I kind of tried to figure out where it came from because it's very difficult as a young person to be different and to be unique and to own it. And when people go, oh, you're a boffin, you're a boffin, the initial reaction from a lot of children would be to be, okay, well, maybe I need to be a little bit more cool. Maybe I shouldn't read. Maybe I shouldn't do that. I mean, I can fit in. I was like, yeah, I'm a boffin. And what? What are you going to do that? I don't care. So I was very much owning my uniqueness. And yeah. as, the, as, as time has gone on, I found that that rebellion and that... That comfort in being me it has really served me well as I've got into adulthood. But I don't know really what it was in my younger eight of days that made me so confident and comfortable to be there. Yeah. Um, it would be good for us to be able to, to teach um, children or just to encourage and nurture that side. Be comfortable in your differences. Because if you think about successful business people, successful celebrities, whoever it is, how many of them are normal? How many of them are exactly the same as everybody else? Or is it because they're different that they became the successful person? Is it because they're different and unique and look at things with a different eye? Isn't that what made them special? And therefore, if you're different, then you're hanging around with a pretty elite group of people, my friend. So continue to be different. Continue, yeah, continue, definitely. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because that's your superpower. And that's where it is with Kai. Kai's autism is his superpower. And each book will explore a different element of that. The fact that he zones out in daydreams, they're actually not daydreams. You'll find out later that they're visions, that he's able to see the future. So when the teacher says, oh, you're not focusing, he's looking at the future, mate. You know <laughs> he's focusing somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, later on, because um, again, working with a lot of autistic children, I see them rocking. And um, for some people, or other children, they might see that as an element for, for teasing. But actually, when, when Kai rocks, he hums. And when he hums, he's able to move things across the room. So there again is me showing that your autism is your superpower. So yeah. don't let people tease you. Don't let people change you. Dare to be different and run with it because it's your differences that make you fantastic. Yeah. So that's really where I, I, I'm trying to go with that in terms of children and building their self-confidence and self-esteem. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and yeah, dare, dare to be different, I think. Yeah, it's so important because as you were saying, the people that, I put on a pedestal in society or the billionaires or the rich people, they've done something different. Like they've set themselves apart and that's what's made them great. There's a book, which I can't, I haven't read yet. Um, and I can't remember now, but I'm going to I'll put it in afterwards, but it's basically talking about um, all the best ideas sort of that are now are the ones that seemed crazy at first. Yeah. Like who would have thought that like, even just for like Facebook, like who would have thought in 2000s or 98s like oh let's have a platform where people can put up like what they've done for the weekend or like you can talk to somebody in china or you can do this yeah, you can yeah. do that like no one would have thought that was possible until it is possible like yeah. and just now you've got um what's his name elon musk sending up jets and sending up jets into the sky and you, no one would have thought 10 years ago that we would be seeing such things so yeah. Yeah, it's it's important to just own your differences. Um, and you remind me a bit of my sister because she loves education so much. She loves learning. Like she said to myself, she said that she's going to get like, um, she's just like, I want to study this, I want to study that, I want to study this. She's like, I want to study philosophy. I also want to study African studies. I want to study law. I want to do this. I'm like, man, you, you love learning, don't you? Like even she, I love, she has a love for Shakespeare, which no one in the house knows where oh, it yeah, came from. <laughs> but it's just there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think, and you know what, kids can be so mean because, like, how can you bully a kid for wanting to learn? And you're in a place where you're learning. Um, so it's an it's an interesting one, definitely. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite authors is Maya Angelou, um, and she says, "If you're always trying to be normal, yeah, you will never know how amazing you are or how you can be." That's good. That's good. Um, so I just wanted to uh, 
uh, ask you sort of a final question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've loved speaking to you. I loved uh, uh, hearing what you've got to say and for coming onto the podcast. Um, but say if there's a, um, a black boy that's sort of discovering who it means to be themselves, discovering their masculinity, um, how do you think either something that you know or something that this conversation um, can sort of help them with their understanding? Um, I think that there's lots of different answers to that question. I think the main thing is to be comfortable in who you are or who you want to be. And you have to find a way of kind of centering yourself and understanding who it is that you want to be and where you want to go. And once you've owned that, then you need to run with that and you need to hold that true to your heart. So regardless of what is going to happen in the environments around you, you need to remember who you are and who you want to be and then learn how to be humble with it. Because um, as much as you may want to shout and scream when somebody says something that's, you know, insulting or is kind of putting you in a position where you're not, be humble and recognize that you have an inner strength and power you haven't discovered yet, but there are others that can see and they're worried and they're fearful of where you can go if you actually embrace your education, embrace your purpose and know yourself. A, a person that knows those things about themselves is extremely powerful and therefore scary. But you have to own it and recognize that as long as I get through this moment in my life and my journey, the world is my oyster. Yeah. Get through this moment. And in terms of a timeline, you know, being at school and, and getting through the education system is a spec. It's just a tiny little spec in, in, in terms of where you're going to be and where you've got to get to. Yeah. So know yourself, know where you want to be, and then just be humble and just go through and get through this moment because most of the time, like I said, it's just, um, People don't understand you and people are afraid of you. But what's interesting is that people always gravitate to the unique person, the person that is very confident in themselves and very much, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to be and I'm not apologizing for it. And you don't have to be loud with that message. You have to be aggressive with that message. Be humble with it. Because that's even more endearing. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. they don't really say much. They're not very, very loud in the room, but you can tell that person knows where he's going, what he wants to do. And, um, yeah, just be be unique and and be happy with that uniqueness because that's what's amazing. You know, be yourself. Is it Oscar Wilde that says, be yourself, everyone else is taken? Yeah, 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 that one, that's a good one. I've heard that one as well. Yeah, so, um, yeah, be yourself and be comfortable in your own skin. And it's easier said than done, but but work on that. And once you get to that point, you're unstoppable. You're cruising, yeah, definitely. And I think the earlier that you can sort of be able to figure that out, the better, mm. because as you're saying, your time at education is so small. Like, imagine mm. you're in education from when you're what? three to 18 or three to if you go to uni then you're like it sounds a lot it sounds like a lot it it's like, like 23 four years out of say you live to 100 mm. that's like 80 that's like 20 out of 80 isn't it it's one eight. if you take away if you take away the years where you're still not quite aware of what's going on around you so for example up until maybe junior school top of junior school most children just kind of will go along with the system and yeah and what they need to take and it's not really like until they get to secondary school so talking about 11 but suddenly your awareness starts to grow as you're growing that takes a few years off it but even then it's still a speck in time in comparison to the rest of your life the rest of the learning the rest of things that you're going to be doing suspect I suppose one really it doesn't feel like that but <laughs> yeah it doesn't feel like <laughs> you when you're in it yeah um, but yeah I think just learning to love yourself be comfortable awesome. in your own skin yeah, I think that's great. And it's a great place to sort of um, end the conversation. Um, but yeah, thank you, Yelita, for coming on. Um, thank you for having me. It's all right. It's all right. It's been great to have you. Yo, yo, yo. End of the episode. Thank you for listening. 
Um, if you got to the end of this, again, thank you for listening. A year later, thank you for coming onto the podcast. Um, even though there were some audio issues, um, which I tried to fix, but I couldn't. Um, and I don't know where it came from. Um, but if you got to the end of this episode, even with all those audio issues, thank you. It was really frustrating because what we were talking about was really, really good. Um, and I think it's really important for people to hear and for young black boys to understand just about their experience in school, but also for some practitioners and teachers to understand what us black boys are going through in school. Um, but yeah, that's why it's frustrating because there's some good stuff and it was hard to hear at times. And I know and I apologize and I will do better. Either way though, thank you for listening. Um, I really liked talking to you later. Um, it was interesting to hear her, sp- her perspective as a teacher um, and finding out what sort of goes on for black boys in school and talking about self-fulfilling prophecy and unleashing your potential and having your potential nurtured. Um, so I really enjoyed all of that. Um, and even hearing about Afro Boy, um, if you guys want to find out more about Afro Boy, I'm going to put the website below and the social medias in the show notes and everything. Um, so you can find that out but go and check out the pdf on there that just shows you the first few pages of the book um and when we talked about the hero kai um you see that um and so it's really good to be able to see the illustration start to understand what um yelisa is trying to create with this book series that she'll eventually have out in the universe and so i want to buy one when it's more of a novel um, because I don't know if I still should be reading books to seven-year-olds. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever it becomes. And, uh, you know, you lead to when it is out, call me up. Give me a message. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to read it because I love superheroes and I love what you're doing. Um, so thank you very much. Um, and so if you guys liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can rate on Spotify podcasts as now. Um, and so leave a review. Um, it helps this podcast grow, helps more people find it. Um, share with your friends, share with your family, share with teachers that you think should listen to this. Um, and so, yeah, uh, thank you very much. Um, there's going to be a question I'm going to pop at the bottom. Um, just have a look at that and uh, give me a little cheeky answer. If you wouldn't mind, that'll be on Spotify only. Um, but. Thank you for listening, guys, um, and we'll talk soon.